We turn once more to the Trinity Psalter hymnal, this time number 499. Now I recognize this is also a new song, and I normally don't pick two in one service, but this is the text we're studying tonight, so I just couldn't pass it up. Uh, This is a setting of 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to read that text in just a couple minutes. Uh, So uh, it it is a tune that is not overly difficult, but it's not terribly easy either. It's one of those middle-of-the-road type of tunes, um, but it is a beautiful setting of that uh, text we're going to read with that final refrain, if I do all these things, they're nothing if I have not love. And so that's how every verse except for the final one ends. I'm going to ask Lorraine if you would play it through for us once first, and then we will sing all the verses of 499. Let's stand together as we sing. Let's turn to that text, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 13. To set this chapter in its context, I'm going to begin our reading uh, back in chapter 12, verse 27, and then read through 14, verse 5, so the verses surrounding uh, 1 Corinthians 13 as well. Beginning at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, what we hear now is God's word. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, 
administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then, I sh then shall I know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, tonight we focus our attention on 1 Corinthians 13, a very familiar text, a chapter about love. And no, I did not pick this text because it is Valentine's Day tomorrow. Man, it's Valentine's Day tomorrow. Don't forget that. It is a very familiar text, and whenever you study a familiar text, there are two challenges that the minister faces. One is, what is there to say about a text that is so familiar to us? What can we add to things we've heard in the past? The other challenge 
is that when we have a familiar text, we often put it in a particular context. We use that text in a particular way. And, and when we do that, we may miss the original point of the text and its teaching. And I think that in the past, I have done that with 1 Corinthians 13. I have used this text, as some of you know, when I do premarital counseling. And we talk about the love of a husband and a wife, the character of that love. I have heard this text used as the meditation at weddings. I have heard this text sung at weddings. It is a beautiful text about love. But I would suggest to you tonight, that was not Paul's purpose. His intention was not to teach us about marital love. Now, that certainly is an application, one application of the text. But Paul's intent was something different. This text falls in the context of chapters 12 and 13 and 14, where Paul is talking about spiritual matters, issues in the church, and particularly about speaking in tongues in the church and its proper place in the worship of the church. He, in chapter 12, listed a number of spiritual gifts that were being used in the church, but the problem was they were being done in a very self-serving way. They were giving a hierarchy of gifts. They were not done for the edification of the body. And it is in that context that Paul now gives this explanation of what the church is to look like. It is to be characterized by love. It is a text, not first of all, that addresses husbands and wives. It is a text that addresses the body of Christ. He says at the end of that previous chapter, and now I will show you a still more excellent way. Not being so concerned about the individual types of gifts, apostles and prophets and teachers and miracles and tongues and interpretations, I will show you something more excellent, the way of love in the church. And this is Paul's point. And so the text begins, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. He's talking about speaking in tongues. And that was the concern of the Corinthians. Let's make sure we speak in tongues. Paul says, if you even do that, but you don't have love, it's just noise. It's a noisy gong. It's a clanging cymbal. Love is absolutely necessary in the life of the church. He says in verse 2, And if I have prophetic powers, we talked about that last time, to understand all mysteries, if I have all knowledge, a word of knowledge, and if I have this miraculous faith, not just justifying faith, a miraculous faith that can move mountains, but if I have not love, I am nothing. He's, he's talking about love not necessarily in contrast with the spiritual gifts, but he is saying love for the church is the context in which we are to see the spiritual gifts exercised. This is the more excellent way. Not trying to find a hierarchy of who has the better gift, 
but exercising whatever gift they were given in a way that was rooted in love. Love for God, first of all, but also love for his people. The absolute necessity of love in the life of the church. He goes on in verse 3. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Even the giving that we do must be done in a way that is, is out of love for God and love for one another. It is a text about love within the body of Christ. That is the context in which these spiritual gifts were to be exercised. That was the context that he was addressing, a lack of love for each other. And now he says, I'm going to tell you a still more excellent way. Love must be the context, the absolute necessity within the church. And he goes on to to talk about the character of that love which must characterize the relationship of the church as a body. What is the character of that love? He begins in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is patient. Patience deals with how we react to others around us, how we respond when others have interaction with us. Patience is reactive. It is, you might even say, passive. Not to, not to fly off the handle if things get out of hand, but to respond with patience. That is the character of the love that the church should have for each other. Patience and kindness. Kindness deals not with reactive, but it is active. How do we engage others within the body of Christ? Do we approach them in kind, loving ways? Some people, it seems, uh, have the knack of, you know, telling you to have a good day, and it sets you off. We need to be kind, gentle in our approach with each other. Love is patient. It reacts well. Love is kind. It engages gently. He goes on. He says, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. These words have the connotation of taking glory to ourselves. Love doesn't focus on who I am. The word for boasting here is a beautiful word, a real literal translation. Love is not a windbag. Love's not a windbag. It talks about itself all the time. That's what was going on. In the Corinthian church, they were pointing the finger at themselves. Look at my gift. Look what I can do. I, I should be more respected by everyone because of the gifts I have. He says, that's not the context to try to say, look how great I am. The context is love. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't arrogant. It doesn't point the finger at itself. That was the problem. They were highlighting the spiritual gifts and forgetting the context of love for the body, that love is the character of God's congregation. He goes on to say, it is not rude It does not insist on its own way. Again, that's exactly what was happening in Corinth. They were being rude to each other. 
We saw that back when we looked at the, the problems at the Lord's table in chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 20, Paul said, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For, one, for in the eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One gets hungry, one gets drunk. You're not caring for each other. You're rude. All you are is self-serving. That's not to be the character of the church. You're not to insist on your own way. That was back in chapter 10. He said, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. That was to be the character of the church, not insisting on their own way, but seeking the good of others. This a character of love, it is not irritable, it is not resentful. Again, resentful, not the best uh, translation. There's a footnote in my Bible, a different translation. Again, very literally, love does not reckon evil. What does that mean, kids? Love does not reckon evil. It means love does not keep track of offenses. Love does not keep score. Love doesn't care who was wronged by whom. There's no scorecard in love. Now, sometimes we may have a tendency to do that. Someone wrongs us, and, and we may reconcile with them, but in our minds we say, that's once. That's once. And it may happen again sometime, and we may reconcile. We say, that, that's twice. And we tend to, to keep a scorecard of wrongs in our lives. Of course, the way to avoid that scorecard, the way to avoid keeping track, uh, reckoning evil, is that in our forgiveness, we actually really forgive them. And forgiveness includes not calling the offense to mind in judgment once again. So that's, that's to be the character of the church. Love, love doesn't hold a grudge. And it's often tempting, even after reconciliation takes place, to hold a grudge against someone else. And when we do that, the love, the body of the church breaks down. Love does not reckon evil. It does not hold grudges from last week or last month or last year or 10 years ago. It is not the character of love to reckon evil and keep track of those things. He says, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Now, why in the world would we ever rejoice at wrongdoing? Well, sometimes, again, sometimes, if we're having a, a disagreement with someone, we're at, at odds with them, not in a good relationship, and something bad happens to them, some wrong happens to them, we might be tempted to say, well, you know they had it coming. It's about time. It's about time they get their up and comings. Love does not rejoice when wrongs happen to someone. It rejoices not in wrongdoing. It rejoices in the truth. This is to be the character of the love in the church, a character reflective of God himself. He says kind of in summary in verse 7, 
Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is a comprehensive love. This is the way the church is to act. This is the context in which we do ministry together, in which we get along with one another. So 1 Corinthians 13 is not an abstract treatise on love, on marital love. It is a very practical direction to the church. This is the way you are to live. This is to be the character of your relationship with each other. Very, very practical. Verse Corinthians 13 is not, first of all, about God's love. It's reflective of God's love, but not, first of all, about God's love. Um, maybe you've heard this before. Uh, I have heard this before from other pulpits, that this text tells us about God's love to us and particularly the love given to us in Jesus Christ. And if you want to understand that, you can replace the word love in this text with the word Jesus. I don't know if you've heard that before. I've heard that from the pulpit. <clears throat> Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Uh, Jesus is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or re resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Now, while all of that is true, it completely misses the point of the text. This is not a text about Jesus' love for us. This is a text about our love for him and our love for each other. If you want to put a name in this text and understand what love is supposed to be, if you want to put a name in this text, then I suggest you put your own name. And while I would not want to do that for any of you, I am going to do that for myself so you hear what it sounds like. Reverend Niemeyer is patient and kind. Reverend Niemeyer does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. And if you can read through this text and make it all the way, I don't know how you can. When I, when I read that, and that, 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 that's what Paul's saying, this is to be your character. When we read it that way, we fall in confession to God. And we say, we have fallen short of his godly standard for the church. We have fallen short of the love he calls us to express to one another. And reading the text in that way drives us to confess our sin and drives us to ask for forgiveness. This is not a text about marital love. It is a text about the love the church is to have for one another. Paul concludes this section. Again, interacting with their concern about spiritual gifts by reminding them of the ongoing and abiding character of love. He says in verse Eight, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. What are the spiritual gifts? As for tongues, they will cease. 
as for knowledge, words of knowledge, it will pass away. He says, so, so basically, don't make these things, don't make these spiritual gifts which were given to the church at that time, don't make these your highest goal. Your goal should not be something that we know is going to pass away. Your goal should be to embrace the enduring, ongoing character of love because that will not end. These things, these miraculous gifts would end. They would pass away. Now we can discuss whether that was in the apostolic age or whether it's in the eschaton, but either one, they're going to pass away. So Paul says, don't, don't seek those things. Seek out that which does not end. Love for God and love for each other. Love never ends. And then Paul gives us these three examples, these three pictures. Verse 9, for we know in part our knowledge, word of knowledge, and we prophesy in part our prophecy, both spectacular and miraculous gifts. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. These words of knowledge, these words of prophecy, these miraculous spiritual gifts are destined to pass away. They are not to continue, but love never fails. He gives us a second example, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now, what is he saying here? He's saying the... He's not talking about immature believers becoming mature believers. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about these spiritual gifts as that which is childish in the church. They were for the initial foundation, the early years of the New Testament church. But, but when the church grew up and became a man, these things were put away. So again, they're, they're not going to continue don't invest yourself uh, that we have to find these spiritual gifts. Love is what never ends. And the third picture he gives us in verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And You can read different commentaries that reflect on this. Now we see in a mirror dimly, and some say, you know, mirrors at that time were not very good, and so they could only see themselves rather dimly. Uh, that may be true, but what is also true is Corinth was known for making some of the best mirrors in the world. So that's what we call importing something into the text that really isn't there. Now, what, what, what Paul is saying is that when you look in a mirror, kids, when I look in a mirror, I see an image of me. But it's not me. I'm me. I'm the reality. What's in the mirror is just, it's an image. It's a reflection. And so what Paul is saying here, these spiritual gifts are like that. They are a reflection. They are not the reality. The reality is the love of God manifest within the congregation. The love is that which we see face to face when we talk to each other, when we interact with each other. Paul's point is these things are going to pass away, but love never ends. 
He concludes this section, verse 13. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. It is a call to the church at Corinth not to get hung up on who had the best spiritual gift, but a call to give themselves to love one another right now in the life of the church. And as it was a call for them, so it is a call for us as well. We can, uh, we can get hung up about what we do in church, what's the more honorable thing to do, whether it's ushering or playing piano or sound man or singing in the choir or working in the nursery or what we do for the church. Paul says, those are all good things, but, but don't get hung up on that. Be concerned about the context in which these various talents are used. Be concerned with love for one another. A love that is rooted in God's love for us. His electing love. Choosing us to be his own. Choosing us to be his children. Giving us the various talents and abilities we have. He has called us to be his own. He continues to call. He calls again tonight to those who do not know him, embrace Jesus Christ and know the truth of salvation and know what, what love of a body really is. Know the love that's expressed within a church. And that's what our call is to each other. This is the path of love. This is the way of love. Uh, no, 1 Corinthians 13 is not a text uh, just for Valentine's Day. It is not a text only for marriages. That may be an application. It is a call to the church of Jesus Christ to continue in the way of love. That is to be the character of our relationship with each other, how we interact with each other. There may be different talents, different abilities, but all of it done in love for God and love for his people. May God help us to demonstrate that type of love, a love which seeks the other's good before ours, a love which is done in thanksgiving for all that God has done for us. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do thank you and praise you for your word. It is a word that is right and true and timeless. It is a word that spoke to the church at Corinth and a word that speaks to us yet today. Lord God, if we have been guilty of a lack of love for each other, if we have not been patient and kind, if we have been envious and boastful, if we have been arrogant and rude, if we have insisted on our own way, if we have reckoned wrongs, if we have rejoiced in wrongdoing, forgive us, O oh God. Forgive us of our lack of love for you and lack of love for your people. We pray that by your Spirit you would strengthen the bonds of love within us. May that be the character of our church. May that be the context in which we live and have our interactions with each other. For this will be a place where we see God is at work. We know the, the stubbornness of our hearts is not natural for us to love each other. It is a work of your spirit. So we pray that you would do that work. We might show love to each other and in so doing, show your love to a hurting world around us. Hear our prayer, O oh God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.